you do that? Say, baby, I got this. I got this. I'm taking the reins. Oh, my God. You'll get the best sex of your life. You'll get so much more intimacy because it's just, it allows us to sink back into our softness and our flow and our fire. And just, yeah, it creates that polarity which makes sparks fly. And this is where so many marriages go under, I believe, because the woman is in the masculine, the man feels emasculated, and you just get further and far, further apart from each other. And it's then it's harder to come back together. It really is. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and I spent every waking moment of my life helping up with people do the same like right now. I'm in a very good mood, folks. Very, very good mood. I've just realized a life-changing, one of those life-changing milestone moments in life, right? That I know is going to change my life completely. I fucking love it when I have this shit happen to me, right? So here's the deal. So I've been really holding on to my time really holding on to my time. As I've been growing 1,000 days sober, I've been getting busier and busier and busier and busier, and I've been wanting to take more and more and more time away from my wife, right? And the way that I do that is by saying, Liza, I'm really, 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 really busy. I need you to spend more time looking after Zia so I can just be more and more and more and more busy, right? And I've been really getting annoyed and angry and coming from like scarcity mindset when Liza just doesn't say, yes, I'll do that for you, my champion. Just leave it to me. I will kill all my dreams and ambitions and I will just look after our child. Your wish is my command, your king. And when she doesn't do that, I get really annoyed and pissed off and I create these stories in my mind and I wake up in the morning and I feel the animosity and the energy in the air and I, and I get really annoyed right? I'm like, can't you see that I'm doing this for the family? Can't you see that I need to do this to make money to put a roof over our head? Can't you see? Can't you see? Can't you see? Right? But really, it's a lot of bullshit, right? Like, it's a fucking lot of bullshit because when you look at your values hierarchy and you say to yourself, well, actually, what is most important to me? One of the things that is most important to me, much more important to me than money and more important to me than actually helping a million people overcome their addictions is connection, Who do I want to be connected to more than anybody else in the world, right? My wife, for so many different reasons. Like, I worked it out that I I struggle a little bit in the whole joy, happiness, fun axis, which is strange because I'm I'm a red, yellow personality type, so I like creativity and fun, but I tend to find a lot of creativity and fun in my work, right? But I also find that when I'm working, there's this, like, hum of anxiety, Okay. I've noticed that hum of anxiety only disappears when I'm in the presence of my beautiful wife. When it's just me and my wife kicking it back, might not even be doing anything. Might just be watching a movie, might be reading a book, might be talking, whatever. I don't get that hum of anxiety, right? Like I feel complete when I'm with her. So I've decided that what I'm going to do is I'm just going to chop my life in half. I'm going to chop my time in half. and I'm going to be like, there you are, lies. You know, there you are right? I see you. I hear you. I know how important it is for you to build your life, to build your dreams, to expand and to grow. And I'm going to give you the time to do that. And that's going to give me less time. And that is going to force me to look at 1000 Days Sober in a completely different way and an exciting, creative way where I can bring more and more world-class people in to give like you like a much, much better service than we're doing right now. And for me to focus on being the strategist and the builder of this thing, not necessarily the coach. 
Does that make sense? Right? So I'm really super excited about that today. That's why I'm really, really happy. All right. And we're doing some really wonderful things at 1000 Days Solo right now. We have like 15 coaches, I think, at the moment. Uh, Jeff Rowe has just joined us. He's a money mindset coach and he's just about to um, launch a, his first workshop uh, for 1000 Days Sober members this month. He's going to be doing two of them. Uh, I don't have it here in front of me, but he's going to be doing a money mindset coach. So that's going to be fantastic. Brittany Lee just recently joined us. She's a transformational coach and intuitive healer, right? Hugh Byrne, mindfulness and meditation. Sue Mort just joined us as a therapist. We have two therapists, Sue and John, right? We have a lot of wonderful coaches, Vinny, Lisa. We're dealing with trauma, dealing with thanatology. We are in talks to get on some amazing relationship coaches, um, coaches that understand the feminine, coaches that understand the masculine. We're fucking going places, baby. We're going places. I'm so excited, right? So if you want to get involved in that, if you want to taste the juice that is in 1,000 Days Sober, if you want to overcome your obstacles and live a kick-ass life, then get to www.1000daysober.com, get involved and uh, book yourself a choose yourself call with me or another member of the 1000 Days Sober team. And we will tell you what options there are. At the moment, we got three of them, okay? Uh, all based on what I call the Strive Method, which used to be our 1000 Days Sober experience, right? It's now the Strive Method. And we have the Strive Method for addictions. We have the strive method for relationships, creating meaningful relationships. And we have the strive method for self-discovery, learning who you are, how powerful you are, and using that power to live a fucking amazing life, right? So there you are. Three strive method opportunities for you to work with us and my full suite of coaches. Come on board. Choose yourself. Invest in yourself financially. Invest in yourself physically and mentally and grow. We should always have a coach. Always. Every single one of us to the day that we die should have a coach, right? Because we are human beings and we're designed to evolve and grow, all right? And talking about evolving and growing, okay, I'm going to introduce you to my next guest, Carly. Carly Hageman. And I met Carly Hageman through coaching with uh, Kaboom. So I'm in a coaching container with Kaboom, called Kaboom with uh, Preston Smiles and Zion Kim and over 100 amazing coaches. And Carly is one of them. Uh, she comes from Australia. And Carly is a qualified social worker and art therapist turned woman's mindset and clarity coach. Uh, Carly's on a mission to help women reconnect with their unique energetic blueprint using human design teachings so they can step fully into their purpose and impact for the world. She focuses on women taking 100% responsibility for their own happiness and fulfillment. Her coaching methods, a clarity path, take women through four stages of reconnection, awakening, igniting, and creating. Carly uh, uses uh, weaves human design, breathwork, daily power, move habits, visualizations, feminine, masculine embodiment work, money mindset breakthroughs, and she uses the Healy Energetic Quantum Frequency device in her work. She's the bomb. Carly is the bomb. And do you know what I love about Carly the most? The car, just you know, all that thing that I've just been talking about about me and Liza. Carly is. She's a mom. She's got like 57 kids. She's got a husband. She's got like so much to do, yet she still manages to make such an impact in the world, right? Folks, ladies and gentlemen, you have so much power within yourself, so much power within yourself. You just need a few guides to eke it out of you, guys like Carly Hageman. So I'm going to shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hand of Carly Hageman. Thank you for listening. Wonderful, the beautiful Carly Hageman. 
Okay, so me and you, I'm just going to center ourselves a second, okay? Mm-hmm. Deep breath, Carly. Okay. I am so grateful that I get to spend this moment with the most beautiful, amazing spiritual being, Carly Hageman. I'm so grateful that I have this roof over my head, keeping the California smoke away. I'm grateful for the air in my lungs. And I am grateful that I have absolutely everything that I need. I have all my needs met. I'm a powerful, abundant human being. Over to you, Carly. I am grateful for the fresh, crisp air. I am grateful for the ocean. I can hear just outside my window on the day I'm about to spend with my family on holidays down here in Australia. I'm grateful to be spending time with Lee Davey, who inspires me no end. Carly, I got to be honest with you. You know, I'm on this coaching platform called the, this coaching container called The Leap, right? Yes, I do. So I'm on this three-month uh, container called Elite, and we all we had to take a vow to give something up for three months. Right. So I vowed to give up uh, masturbation for three months. Right. And it's been, how's that going? Well, <laughs> it's been like a week. I've got the biggest, baddest case of <laughs> balls you could ever imagine. So, like, your likelihood of getting my full attention for the next sixty minutes. <laughs> fucking zero because my balls feel like elephant balls my stomach's <laughs> so if i just see you exit stage left i'll just keep talking shall i i've been like got my crystals <laughs> rubbing my crystals on my balls don't tell liza i rub her crystals <laughs> on my balls she wouldn't she would not be happy I'm sure, uh, that in, I'm sure that increases their i don't know their potency or their energy in some way Oh man! <laughs> I mean, this is- I've never, I've never started a podcast in this way. This is amazing. I've never started a podcast. I've never started a podcast in this way. Oh. Um, but it, I don't know where we can go from here. I, well, I, I can lead. I can lead us from here. <laughs> cool. So, okay. the reason that I wanted you on the podcast is you wrote, you wrote, you did a video. Actually, it was the title was "Why Your Husband Is Not an Arsehole." Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And at one thousand days sober. Recently, I kind of switched my focus and I, I, want, I wanted to liberate women. And the mm. way that I wanted to liberate women was to help men. So that yeah. to help men kind of like find their, find their power, realize what it means to be a man, how that um, lack of being a man is impinging on the woman in the relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And I'm playing around with it. Like I'm not quite sure where it will go, but it feels pretty cool to me. And one of the things that leaps out on me is there seems to be a lot of stuff in the world right now about mm. understanding women, understanding femininity, right? Uh-huh. And I think that is really super important. I really do, because I do believe we live in a patriarchal white man rules kind of like yeah. uh, culture. Um, however, you know, I've started to read the keys of the kingdom. Uh-huh. I've got Iron John, Iron John here and King Warrior Magician Lover. And yeah. I've been talking to my wife about this, and I realized that, you know, Liza, you know, has a lot to learn about men, particularly like you get blue balls if you don't masturbate or release or have sex or something. But it's a thing about a man that a woman doesn't know. You don't know what it feels like. You don't know why it, how it comes up. And then that oh. goes deeper and deeper and deeper into psych- psychology, you know, how men think that men have different phases. So that's why I was yeah. really attracted to what you um, you spoke about in your video because you work with women. So yeah. talk about it a little bit. Why, why is your husband not an arsehole? 
Yeah. So that video really came about after a conversation with a couple of women that I'm coaching in, in the space that I embody, uh, who were projecting a lot of anger and a lot of disappointment about their husbands and their husbands doing this and doing that and saying this and not doing that and not doing enough of that. And this kind of projection about them. And I realized that whilst I was working with women about their feminine embodiment, I needed to help them see what the divine masculine is about as well. And I can absolutely see why women feel this way a lot of the time for a number of reasons. Firstly, we, a lot of us women have never experienced the divine masculine. We've, ne- we've only really experienced the toxic masculine. So that's when a man is in his toxic masculine is when he's, you know, domineering, controlling, violent, aggressive, um, or emotionally abandoning women. And, you know, I'd had this experience growing up. I'd only really, the men in my life had never really been strong male figures. They were, um, you know, I had some male family members that were aggressive. I had some male family members who would, when anything got tough, they would leave and disappear for weeks on end. So I think women have never really understood what the divine masculine is, which is just, they're just the most amazing thinking, logical results orientated, concrete, sturdy, protective, incredible energies. If, if they're in that beautiful divine masculine. Now, and it's not gender specific either. I'm sure you're learning about this. Uh, you know, we've all got our masculine and our feminine. Can you, fo- can you focus on that a little bit? Because um, <laughs> if I was listening to my own podcast uh, six months ago, I would have definitely thought it was gender specific. Yeah. No. So we, we all embody the feminine and the masculine energy and we need both to move our lives forward. So the feminine, which is flow and energy and unpredictable and um, fiery and dynamic and vulnerable is, is how, I mean, and this, in this day and age, some people identify as female, even when they don't have that genitalia, right. But let's just talk about if you are actual female in gender, you have that beautiful feminine energy, but you actually need some masculine energy to project your life forward, to get stuff done. Right. So we've had, we have both. And even men have both. They have these, this beautiful feminine energy where they can be soft and nurture. You see this, you know, when, when, when men become fathers, you know, when they soften and nurture this, this new life and they protect this new life. So we, we have both and we need both at different times. What happens though is what has happened over history is that a lot of men have been emasculated from their divine masculine through, and people find this very controversial when I say this, but through the feminism movement, men really lost their place, like lost this sort of sense of well, where do we fit now? Like we, we were the providers and we went out and worked and bought the money in the bacon home and now our women are doing that and our women can do that and they're really independent and we really want that for our women, but now what does that mean for us? And so I, when I talk to the women that I coach, we, we walk, walk through, but what's happening for your man? Where does he feel like he can be the masculine in your relationship? Or do you just have all shit handled all the time and he doesn't know what the hell he's doing and so he's feeling really displaced? And when we have that conversation, it's just it's just beautifully connective for the woman to go, oh, he's not being a jerk or an asshole. He's actually quite lost. And how, you know, and that usually that opens their hearts to a space of, oh gosh, I really want to connect with him and allow him to step into his masculine role. A lot of the work I do there is about helping the woman step back into her feminine. So the man can step back into his masculine because we need that polarity in a relationship. I'm talking, you know, a heterosexual relationship in particular. So yeah, it's really powerful work that I have also had to do in my marriage. 
because I was raised by toxic masculine men, I learned to trust my masculinity more than them and I took that into my marriage. And so it's been a a number of years of unlearning and handing over some of the reins back to him so he can be my man and protect me. And the interesting thing, Lee, is it's a freaking turn on actually. When, when he takes the lead, he protects, he gets shit done, he makes decisions. It's actually incredibly arousing and, in, and it's brought us, you know, so much closer in all areas of our life. Our intimacy has deepened because I'm allowing him to be his masculine self, to be his beautiful, perfect masculine self. Yeah. Mm, I've had that same feedback, you know, because I'm like this weekend is Zia's birthday weekend so I just kind of leave that stuff to Liza to get on with it. And then the mm. weekend after, we're going to go on a trip to Lake Tahoe for Liza's birthday, and I just let her get on with that. And if we mm-hmm. were to go on a world trip anywhere, like, you know, we've traveled all over the world in the last couple of years. I don't think I've ever booked a flight in my life. Yeah. And there are yeah. some times when Liza is like, step the fuck up. And I'm yeah. like, what's the problem? I'm just being efficient. You get it done. But she's like, no, step up. And I used to have that exact conversation. I've been with my husband for 15 years and I would say to him, I cannot remember a time when you booked a holiday. We're on holiday this weekend and this is the first one he's ever booked. And that's because we've been doing this work in particular over the last couple of months. And it's just because you get stuck in this cycle of, well, she'll do it. She always does it, right? Like it is efficient. She knows where to book. She knows how to book it. She's got all the system. Like, but... Can I give you guys a little bit of a hint? Women get sick of making decisions, especially if they're caring for little people. We make decisions all week. Like, what are they going to wear? What are we eating? Like, you know, just so many decisions for women. And it's actually not our natural energy and it burns us out. And then we become resentful about making decisions and we don't want to make any decision. And I know for me, I get to the weekend, my husband comes home from work and I'm just like, I just want you to decide everything this weekend because I'm done. Mm -hmm. If you do that, say, baby, I got this. I got this, I'm taking the reins. Oh my God. You get the best sex of your life. You'll get so much more intimacy because mm-hmm. it's just, it allows us to sink back into our softness and our flow and our fire. And just, yeah, it creates that polarity which makes sparks fly. And this is where so many marriages go under, I believe, because the woman is in the masculine, the man feels emasculated, and you just get further and far, further apart from each other. And it's then it's harder to come back together. It really is. Yeah, because you you get into this cycle of uh, defense and judgment, don't you? So yeah. I was going to ask you, like when you're working with your clients and you're trying to get them to see that your husband isn't an arsehole, like, so you're kind of like saying, okay, mm-hmm. let's have a think mm-hmm. about what's going on for them and how they work so we can like readjust the way we communicate with them. Do you get like a kickback? Do you get a like, no, fuck that guy. Like he never sees me. He never does anything. Why have I got to think about him? Like he never sees yeah. me. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. But generally when I talk about this, just as I explained it to you guys in your audience, is usually they there's, there's some kind of like primitive recognition of it. They go, oh, I can see that. We also, you know, we look back at, their relationships with the masculine and the feminine over their lifetime. And we see some patterns and generally that helps them make connection. But I also remind women that I work with that there's a reason that they chose their partner in the first place. There's a reason they were attracted to them. There's a reason that they they've chosen to be in unity. And 
when we can remember back to what we were first attracted to in our partner, it softens the hard edges, if that makes sense. It softens the heart. They're like, oh, we never used to be like this. We used to have fun. I love that he was a, a joker and a bit of a clown and I love that he was actually, you know, think back to when you maybe started dating, like, oh, he did open doors for me and he did decide on dates and where we were going right? No, I'm laughing because when I first met Liza, we had a big fight because I didn't open the door for her. And that, that I, I walked ahead of her. That's I, was like, I was like, I was in Copenhagen and, and I'm walking and she's getting really annoyed. Like what's the matter? And she said, um, it's so disrespectful that you don't open a fucking door for me. You walk ahead of me. Like, yeah. and, and, and I was like, well, fucking keep up. Like, like why yeah, do I, I slow down, speed up? <laughs> I used to get so annoyed. We'd go out and my husband would be 10 steps ahead. I'd be like, are we in Saudi Arabia where the woman has to walk 10 steps behind yeah. the man? Like, what's the actual F? Why don't you want to walk with me? And we make all these stories up about what that means instead of just asking the question, right? Like, why do you walk ahead of me? I get annoyed and I'll, you know, and then I'll come back at you later in the day and I'll bridge it up 10 years later. Like, that's what we do. Well, I, <laughs> I think what I've taken out of that is, you know, like, so let's just take that as an incident. So, like, I'm walking ahead. Liza mm. turns around and says, stop walking ahead of me. Um, I then turn around and say, don't be so fucking stupid. Keep up. I cannot walk at your pace. Like I can't help mm. it. Like, so I become really mm. defensive. Um, now if I'm stuck in my boy psychology, my toxic, uh, masculinity, and I'm stuck in the matrix, I'm completely unaware of what I'm doing. Then I'm yeah. just going to continue, continue, continue to defend and to judge and to not listen to her. But if I, yeah. if I am learning by listening to podcasts like this, working with people like you, reading books like mm -hmm. I and John that's on my bed right now, and you're learning more about these things, then you're a work in progress. So then you can say yeah. to yourself afterwards, why does this, why is this really important to her? Yes. And, and, and more importantly, why is this a big deal for me not to listen to mm -hmm. her and honor what she wants, which is always going to yeah. lead back to, you know, a breach of approval, security, or, you know, connection. So for me, it's always approval. She's telling me that I'm not a good husband and I, yeah. need, I need that approval. The spiral of our brain, right? Like it's just, we make this story about what that means when she says that instead of asking her, what does that mean for you and why do you, why did you say that? I would work with the women though on how to actually ask for what they need in a different way so the masculine can hear them. Mm. So actually when you come to a man, to your man, and you speak to him from your heart, babe, when you walk ahead of me it makes me feel like this, I need this from you, the masculine energy just goes whoo. Because actually the divine masculine wants to serve and help and protect and, and nurture you. It actually wants you to feel amazing. But when you come from your head of you do this and stop doing that and why do you do this, the defensive, the defences come up, right? And mm -hmm. most men, and you'll be learning that in the books you're reading, Lee, most men were never taught as young boys and men to um, expand their nervous system enough to hold the feminine fire. Instead it was close down, clamp up put up the wall. So as soon as the woman says something like, why do you walk ahead of me? We take the masculine generally takes that as a criticism instead of what you're learning is 
she's trying to send me a message here. There's something important here and I want to connect here. And so I feel like a lot of my work is just helping women take a breath and step it back and think about what they're actually desiring when they're snapping and emasculating and cutting their man down, which I did for many, many years. Mm. I would just find little moments to cut him down and sort of niggle at him because that's what I saw in my parents' marriage. That's what was apparently functional when I was growing up. And, um, and so it breaks them down into the point of no connection. So if we can take it back and really think, what do I need? And talk to him from that heart space. Oh, the conversations are amazing. It totally transforms people, people's relationships and they're quite simple concepts but um, are often hard to do because we have so many triggers and traumas and woundings mm. and, you know, previous experiences where maybe and a lot of women, especially with patriarchy, have experienced taking their heart to somebody and having it actually destroyed and stomped on too. So there is some fear sometimes around women doing that. Yeah, I always remember, I think it was Dom McGarrowiz said, if you give your heart to somebody, just be be prepared that they're going to drop it. Um, yeah, I, for me, you know, growing up, connection didn't mean shit. Yeah. Like in a relationship, it didn't mean shit. Like to me, connection was sex. Yeah. We sex, we connect. So yeah. if I'm walking ahead of you and you're giving me some jip about it, I'm not really connecting the dots. And this is this right. is why I invite people you, you onto the podcast, is I want men to connect the dots. Because if you think that sex is connection and sex is really important in your life, right? then the way to get sex is not to moan and groan that you want no. sex. It's to understand how to connect to your wife, what your wife needs you to do to connect and, and to make a choice about whether or not you're willing to step up and do that. Because you might say to yes. yourself, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to behave like that. And get the fuck out of the relationship. I have some respect and yeah. find somebody else. But yes. for me, it was things like, okay, this is really important to her. Why? And then you realize that, hang on, if I actually listen to what she's saying and I respond and, um, you know, make her feel heard, then yeah. the whole conversation around intimacy and sex and everything becomes just so much, so much easier. Yeah. So like <laughs> this blue balls thing that I was like messing about, about with, we live in a house where we got two people in their seventies and we sleep in the same room with a four-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a great place for blue balls, right? And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I feel like a child and mm-hmm. shame, shame and guilt comes up when yeah. I'm kind of like running around after her like a little puppy dog and I see mm-hmm. her walking around so super sexy and I'm just like, Argh! and I just can't do anything and I get really frustrated, right? Yeah. And that conversation then becomes, I don't like it. It becomes like mm-hmm. you need to have sex. Whereas if you're connected as a mm-hmm. guy, if you're doing the right things in your relationship, if you're playing with your child and giving her utter presence, which is super sexy mm-hmm. from my wife, right? Mm-hmm. If you're holding space for them, if you're cleaning up because you know it's a problem for them, if you're listening to them but not trying to fix them, then mm-hmm. the conversation around sex is very different. It's much yeah. much more gentle. There's no shame attached to it. And all of a sudden you're like, it's like a, you're like partner, you're like allies trying to find yeah. a solution rather yeah. than, oh, for fuck's sake, like I'm not in the fucking mood. Don't, why you keep fucking chasing after me? It becomes, okay, I see this is really important for you. How are we mm. going to make this, how are we going to make this happen? Yeah. That, that comes out of connection. And with something I don't know that many men have been taught is that the masculine is about giving and the feminine is about receiving right? Like penetration and opening 
that's how it works emotionally as well as physically. And most women, and especially if there's been some form of um, childhood abuse, which is very, very common in women, I think one in three girls in Australia where I live anyway, I would assume it's the same around the world, we, a lot of women need to do a lot of healing around receiving physically and emotionally. So if you're doing the work over here as a man and you're like, yeah, but my wife still doesn't want to have sex with me, it's not about, yeah, rising into this sort of anger and you know, I feel attacked and I feel emasculated and it's more about, well, how do I help her heal those wounds? How do I help her step back in and get in touch with her own sexuality and intimacy practice and there's an incredible book that I've just started reading and it's um really opening my eyes to even more and it's called Pussy a Reclamation and because we a lot of us women have been really cut off from our sexuality in that way or it's been deemed dirty or it's been um you know just growing up and you know having sex with teenage boys because they weren't men right and like there's so much stuff there's so much stuff there for women so when you were talking about you know your relationship with Liza and if you're doing the work and she still doesn't want it there could be some work there around her actually coming back and healing some of that femininity stuff and her sexuality stuff and getting back in touch with her body and her vagina and what that means and all of that sort of stuff too Mm. so you know I love it when my husband is able to hold space for that when I'm like I really am not turned on I'm I don't want it but I want to work on that because that's there's that's something that I want in my relationship is intimacy but I'm really stuck and where he can hold space for that and say well what do we need to do you know how can I help what books do you need to read like where do we need to go do we need to talk to someone and able to step into that space with me to create a container for that healing instead of, again, abandoning me, cutting me off, saying I'm wrong, judging me. Yeah, mm. it's just so much more connective. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. yeah. It's se- it just goes to show sex is just like a such a massive essential part of a relationship in one mm. or the other. You know, there have been times mm. when I've said, okay, do you know what? I'm not going to chase uh, around for sex. I'm not going to ask for sex. I'm going to cut sex out of my life. And in some mm. respects, in some respects, things become easier because there's no pressure. There's, um, you know, the energies away from that. But then on another respect, it's kind of like, no, actually, and I'm, I'm realizing this in my mid forties. Okay. Yeah. I've never realized before. Is this a biological need? So Mm -hmm. for example, like, um, you know, a couple of months ago, me and Liza introduced like fortnightly date nights away where we just book a hotel, cut loose, and we can be intimate there because we don't have to be in the household, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, when that two weeks comes around and I'm not there, my body lets me know. It 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 hurts. It hurts. I feel like an, an insane attraction. Like, <laughs> I, like oh, I just like need to make a baby or something. It is definitely <laughs> biological. It's not psychological. It is. But can I also say that women have been taught that that is wrong in men, right? Like, oh, all you care about is sex and men just want to sow their seed and I'm like, yeah, like that is such a biological need for men and that's okay. Let's not make it good or bad. That's just what it is, right? Now, can we teach men how to have that release with connection and intimacy? Absolutely. I mean, it's not helped by the porn industry and how sex is depicted in the media and 
you know, some of these really sexualized shows that I'm seeing on Netflix with, you know, young girls and boys, like it's just crazy what's out there. And I, and that's generally, I'm, I'm raising two boys, right? My boys are eight and six. And I just think I do not want them to learn about sex in that way. I don't want them to see sex and intimacy in that way. Mm. They'll be reading, they'll be reading books like Pussy and Iron John <laughs> instead. But <laughs> no, it, stories. <laughs> you make a, you make a massively important point though, because how, how, how did we all discover as boys? You know, yeah. how, how did we discover sex? We was probably, it talked about in your house? Well, I would say the way that I discovered sex was listening to my mom and dad having sex, finding my dad's pornography stash, mm-hmm. learning to masturbate at a young age over those images, finding yeah. videos. So back in the days, it was the blue, electric blue VHS. And, <laughs> but, and, then, and then you formulate through that experience mm-hmm. what you believe a man should do when they're having sex at the same time your mom then comes along in my in my household with a book on how we procreate which is very science based yeah right and then you learn about yeah you put the penis in the vagina and then you have an orgasm and then you can have a baby right so there's these things that are just complete opposite and what you really need is like i tell you what my birds and the bees talk with jude who's like 19 was Mm. more focused around respecting women like mm-hmm. whatever you do and, and, and raising awareness of porn culture. So yeah, saying to Jude, look, I know you're going to watch porn, but please, 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 please. That, that's not real sex. Like that's not yeah. real connection. And we always mm-hmm. need to go into these situations really respecting the woman. But mm-hmm. ideally, and this is like so difficult, you need, you need somehow like, right, I'm having a class today. I'm going to learn how to have a blowjob. Like I'm going to learn how to like uh, lick a woman out. I'm going to learn how to actually have sex. I'm going to learn how about what the fuck is pre-cum. Like so many things that we literally learn through porn, you know? Yeah. And then you get it. And it's it's really interesting. I was having a conversation with my, I've got a sensuality coach who's been helping me with a lot of my own healing around my body and, and loving my body again and, and wanting to be intimate with my husband. And, you know, we're having this conversation about, uh, in, you know, remember sex education in school where we learned how to put a condom on a banana yeah. and, you know, we learned the real freaking whatever stuff that, you know, we could have learned by doing a Google search. And I thought, imagine if they taught this stuff and I said, but it would be deemed so inappropriate yet the porn industry can, be all over the internet and be accessible by our young people. So imagine if we could change the narrative and we can do that in our own homes. If we're raising young boys and girls, we can do that with them, but it's, it's just so interesting that society deems that as an inappropriate conversation or class to have, but we can absolutely allow porn to to dictate how our kids. This is, um, this is another place actually where it would help if the world, if the world tried to understand men a little bit more, I guess, mm-hmm. is, um, and when I'm saying this, by the way, I'm not discounting the need for people to understand the women as well, right? That's no, of course. Every, everything I'm doing is about, hey, men, let's understand the women a little bit more. But we thought we'd, we'd do this one. So I interviewed Dominic DeVita recently. And we talked mm. about porn addiction, sex and stuff. And Dominic, you know, she, she's a tantra teacher and she's like, well, porn's okay. Like, you know, porn, porn is like most things in life. Like you, you use it incorrectly, it's going to be bad. Use it well, it could be good, right? And she mm-hmm. was talking about, uh, I can't remember his name, like his director who makes really artful porn, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, let's think about how a guy uses porn. 
Mm-hmm. Tell right. me, because I don't really know. Okay. So, <laughs> so this is how this is how I use porn, okay. right? So or used to, because I don't use porn anymore. I live in a household with uh, two seventy-year-olds, like I said, and Liza and Zia. So mm-hmm. the dad goes to work in the morning, and then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, Liza and her mum and says, "We're going to take Zia to the park." Mm-hmm. Even if I'm not in the mood for it, my brain is like, boom, I got to now masturbate and I got to watch porn. I got to masturbate. I got to come. This is my opportunity, right? And for me, yeah. it's linked, for me, it's actually linked to loneliness, but it's okay. also a disconnection, but it's also uh, an approval, but it's also related to habit. It's a habit, right? It's a trigger. If I go into a hotel room on my own, mm-hmm. I'm in, uh, back in the day, instantly porn and uh, masturbation, right? right. So, mm-hmm. But then what you want to do, <laughs> you just want it over and done with as quickly as possible. So you go into you porn, you pick a video that's going to turn you on, and it's all over and done with within like five minutes, right? You're not going to log, log, you're not going to like, you're not going to search for an artful piece of pornography and then mm-hmm. spend 30, 30 minutes of your time watching it and then coming, right? You're literally mm-hmm. going to be going, right, who's got the biggest hits? If, if, that's, yeah. what you like, if that's what you like. Yeah. Uh, who's got biggest butt? If that's what you like. Uh, and then mm-hmm. some sort of style that you like, right? And what I find is with that thought mindset, and this is very subjective. I might be the only man in the world who, who's this is behaving like this. Um, so you're looking for something, a short, sharp hit. And on you porn these days in these channels where people go to more often because mm-hmm. it's all free, most of what you're looking at is homemade. Mm. It, it's, it's not really uh, professionally shot. You, you're looking at that. You're, you're attracted more to the homemade because it's more natural. Like if yeah. natural. Um, but the, the theme here is violence. So mm. you look at something like uh, Brazzers.com uh, or whatever, you know, they're, they're, they're fucking spitting at women. They're putting their foot on their face. There's, there's this violence. But then when you look, wow. at, when you look at the homemade movies, same. Mm. It's violence. It's um, and and not mega, not always mega violence, but you know, like I remember Liza slapping my ass, and I was like, "Fuck, that hurts!" Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Do you know Who what I mean? That? Yeah. <laughs> um, and look, there's this animalist kind of yeah. like biology thing that kicks in, and afterwards you think, "What the fuck just happened?" Right? I get mm-hmm. that totally, yeah. and that could be super sexy and a turn on and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a, a violent, aggressive thing that comes out of porn that men that that speaks to men. Mm-hmm. Do you know? It's like it's like there's a, a difference. There's a difference between some you know some rough sex when you're both connected and the man's in his divine masculine and and when he's in his toxic. Yes, yes, exactly. So yeah. one one is I'm like you're lost in the moment yeah. of connection and yeah. it's a union. Yes. And the and, and the yeah. other and the other one is I'm looking in the mirror, staring at my <clears throat> bicep because I'm thinking of a porn movie and that is what's going to get me off. It's about the orgasm. Yeah. And so many men have so much displaced anger because they've been displaced for so many generations and haven't been taught how to, how to embody their divine masculine that, yeah, I think a lot of it comes out during sex and it's, yeah, I think it's just different if everyone's in there equal, the power's equal, there's connection and intimacy and you both want that kind of rough play but a lot of us women have experienced really aggressive, sometimes violent sex 
it's just sex. I was, it, it was interesting when you're talking about how you, you guys, how you use porn. So it's really just then the outcomes about the release, right? Like, yeah. as you said, it's, over, it's, over, it's just about the release. It's not about anything deeper than that. And it's so interesting, like, when a lot of my girlfriends talk about porn, we look for the longer, artier, like, <laughs> the story, the, the connection. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because we need men to, to open our legs. We need a man to open our heart. That's how you're going to connect with a woman. Just that's, you know, if you go for the crutch grab too early, we're done, we're shut, done, see you later, you're not getting anything. you know the crutch grab the whole like you get home from work your wife's in the kitchen she's been with the kids all day she's snackered and you just walk in and grab her ass and they go fuck off have you ever done that lee oh yeah but you know what goes through my head though this is what goes through my head especially now that i'm like i'm on this like i've been on a growth spurt for the last 10 years right yeah Yeah. um and i want to i want to come back to drinking and sex in a minute right okay yeah what goes through my what goes through my head is uh Oh, wow. She's really in a bad mood. Oh, <laughs> the whole world's on top of her. Now is not the best time to ask her. There's no way she's going to have sex. She's in such a bad mood. And then Liza's like, all right. And then you're like, yeah, do you fancy a quickie? <laughs> it's like, what the fuck did I just like, say that for? In my head, I was telling it, myself. To- <laughs> that's true. Like, that's true. Um, yeah. I just want to cycle back to what we were talking about and just like to underline this conversation about sex and violence and aggression in, in men mm. Um, mm. is that, whoa, 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 whoa. If you drink alcohol and then get yourself in a sexual experience and alcohol, um, everybody thinks that um, the good thing about alcohol is it lowers inhibitions. No, no, no. Mm. Like it's the bad thing about alcohol, right? Because now you have no inhibitions. Mm. you're already cued into this kind of like subconscious uh, programming that says, okay, the way to have sex is to slap them around the ass, is to strangle them, is to choke them, is is to get turned on by that kind of like um, that aggressive pursuit. And then you've Mm. got somebody say to you, actually, I don't want sex. And Mm -hmm. I know I've, I know I've come into your room, but I don't want sex. Right. And you're, and you're fucking smashed. Mm-hmm. How many people have woke up in the mornings and been like, what the fuck did I do last mm-hmm. night? Yeah. There's been times in the past where when I was younger, probably my early 20s when I was at university and we'd go out drinking three nights a week and, you know, as, as a female, it would it would loosen me up and relax me enough to maybe take a guy home. But I always remember those nights when it just tipped over to you know, he was just too drunk. I didn't feel safe. And, but then I was like, oh crap, like he's in my house or he's in my room or. Fucking A. You know, like I remember. You're not going to be a guy feeling unsafe with a woman in your house. Do you know what I mean? Like you ain't pulling a woman on a Saturday night going home, worrying about it. But yeah. what did uh, Liza's mum says? All men are wolves. Yeah. <laughs> and we had somebody on Strive, her name, her nickname that she created was Raised by Wolves. Yeah, right. Honest to God, I know I'm sounding melodramatic now, but if I was a woman in this day and age, there's no fucking way I would want to take a man home into my house when yeah. I was drunk. And we have to think about that now when we go out, you know, not only do we walk back to our car with our keys between our fingers in case we get jumped, not only oh. do we think don't walk through that park, don't go up that road, and we're constantly scanning for danger. Yeah. You know, so many women are still in, uh, just constantly in fight or flight or freeze. 
but yeah, if we, we then go, well, if I drink, will that, well, will I get my drink spiked? That's another one. Yeah. Um, I had my drink spiked in my early twenties and thank God I was with a really good group of friends and they got me home safely. But you know, then yeah. Okay. If I go home with him and just, we're, we're just constantly scanning because there's a lot of toxic masculinity out there and, and alcohol for a lot of men makes them more aggressive and dangerous to us. Yeah. You, uh, mm. you don't know you don't want to be out of control. Just flipping a little bit. I've been reading this great book. I love it. Um, the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. You read it. Is that Alison Armstrong? Yes, it is. Alison yeah. Armstrong. Yeah. I love a uh, number of things about it, but one of the things I love about it is she's written the book. Like I would like to write my book. So it's, um, a fiction book. Mm-hmm. But so she is like, she's a, she's part of this family that is inherited this knowledge of how men works over like hundreds of years. And mm-hmm. her job is to pass it down to her daughter. Um, right. But her daughter doesn't want that knowledge. So she meets someone in yoga class. So she's now teaching this person this knowledge. So you get the story arc, but you're learning about how men work because mm-hmm. the woman teaching is in a relationship. So you get to see, I can't, he's, he's called an elder. So like he's, he's gone beyond king energy. And we'll talk about that in right. a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So you get to see how an elder works. And then this woman she's teaching, he's in his prince energy, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. So you get to see how it all works. So I love that. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I like it because it's, it's focused on men. So I'm going to tell you some things that I really liked about it. And Really had to control myself because I was like, oh my God, I got to show light of this. This validates me as a human being. (laughs) Um, (laughs) One of them, really controversial, I think it will be controversial Mm -hmm. anyway, is she said, men are always made to feel ashamed for looking at other women. Mm. Now, this is romanticism, right? So the the romantic view Mm-hmm. that we will marry someone and they will just love and cover us forever and never, ever, 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 ever look at someone else. So yeah. she, she says, <laughs> That's she so says, unrealistic. <laughs> yeah, she's like, what the fuck? Like, and she says, yeah. it's not his fault for looking at you. The woman is turning his head. You need to get this, that the woman is turning his head. Like she's beautiful. She's walking past him. She's turning his head. He cannot stop mm. himself. And then she said, and let listen to this one, folks, because this one will anger a lot of you, probably women. Yep. Then she said, there are men who look too long. Yeah. And when they do, you need to look into yourself and ask what is missing from your relationship? What are you not providing in your relationship that is related to that prolonged stare? Now that then goes into radical authenticity. Yeah. What's your thoughts on what I've just said there? Yeah, my thoughts are that that triggers a lot of women. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does. Um, And still, I'll be honest, there's parts of me that I go, oh, like that snags and I'm not sure with that. However, what I teach with coaching my women is – 100% 100% authenticity, 100% responsibility for doing your own work and healing your own wounds and bringing 100% of yourself to that relationship. And then if there's still not connection or intimacy or, you know, you're not happy with how it's going or he can't meet you in that space, then you can decide what you do in that relationship. You can decide to leave or not, but not before you bring 100% authenticity and yourself. Now, I it's an interesting space when the man when the man's eye wanders and I was raised with this, my mum used to say all the time, like, Oh, your father, he's always got eyes for other women. And so I internalized that as a really bad thing. 
And I've had to unlearn that. And now I actually get a little bit turned on when my husband looks at other women because I'm like, right, there's still fire there for him. Hmm. How do I now help him redirect that into our connection? Hmm. And when I look at other guys, because I do, not a lot, but like I'll see a guy and go, oh, God, there's something about him. How do I bring that feeling into my marriage? And the problem is obviously when people chase that person and step outside their marriage and disconnect and, and don't want to do the work in their marriage. But I see, and I've got a girlfriend who is the same. She's like, far out. If I see a hot guy, I just channel that. Like I put that in the bank and then I go home and give my husband the best sex of his life. Right. Mm. So how do you, you know, I know I'm probably not answering your question, but that's kind of how I see it. Like it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It means they've still got instincts. They still have feelings. They still have desires. How do you bring that back to connect in your own union? Mm. But like yeah, most, most people get too defensive. Like you should only look at me forever and ever and ever. I just don't think that's freaking realistic. I don't actually believe that we are designed to be monogamous our whole lives. Um, biologically, I just don't. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm the same. I think, I think it triggers resistance. <laughs> so what normally happens is, um, you looked at that woman and then yep. the defense from the guy is what well, most guys will then lie because yep. they'll feel shame. But the ones like me who don't feel shame won't lie, but they'll feel yep. a bit guilty about it. Right. Um, and, and then and the, the woman and the woman though, if you're like, if that was me I'd, and I'm, I would make it, my old trigger would be, I'll make that, that there's something that I don't have that he loves or, there's something wrong with me inherently. Yeah. But when you can heal all of that and get to the place like, no, I'm fucking ace and I'm really, I am 100% me, you, it's, not as, it's not as triggering for the woman, right? Like it's not a lack that like I don't have this scarcity stuff. It's just, oh, well, he finds her eyes lovely or her smile lovely or her ass lovely. That doesn't mean I'm less than. So that's the feminine side. I, I, li- I, like, the, um, I like the relational literacy part of this. So I, I like the woman observes the man looking at another woman mm. and then later on says, Oh, uh, can I talk to you about something? I noticed mm. earlier on that you were looking at another woman or you were leering at another woman. And I wondered what it was about that woman that you were looking at. Yes. Um, because I, I've been caught like looking at women, like let's yeah. typically walking down the street where I, you know, you just flick your head at somebody or you, or you walk, you see someone coming who, who you think looks kind of beautiful and you kind of move yourself <laughs> and lies is like, do you think I'm fucking stupid? <laughs> that. But then yeah. there's also the list. So I work at, uh, I've worked at poker tournaments for years, super mm. beautiful women sometimes at these things. And then she'll catch me repeatedly looking at somebody. Now, if we're grown up enough to have a conversation on that, yes, then it could be, well, do you know what? I just couldn't stop looking at her legs because they're beautiful and it triggered some aspect of my childhood where I've obviously seen these mm. legs before. Could be your mm. fucking mum's legs. It could be that your mum brought a friend round for a tea and she, the way she crossed her legs always imprinted in your head. Could mm. be when you were younger, you would look through the Freeman's catalogue. Remember catalogues? You'd look through the catalogues and you'd yep. see legs of women and it would turn you on so that is what's happening it's not like oh well actually i'm looking at her thinking oh i want to fuck that like so so there needs to be like um this is why relational literacy for me and developing a relationship where you can openly talk about anything 
from 100% radical honesty and authenticity is, is like the deal. It's a deal. It's a deal maker. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, from my angle, I teach women to have those conversations from their heart because that's when the masculine actually will tune in. When it comes at them, their central nervous system just shuts down. When it comes like the nag, the pick, the, the you're wrong and why'd you do this and the attack, men's, men's nervous systems just shut down. And a really amazing teacher of this for men is John Wineland. Um, I encourage your, your male audience to tap into some of his work if this is feeling good to them and they want to explore this avenue. He, he teaches men how to stay in a space and breathe through their emotions and not not abandon themselves basically but it's so interesting when you're talking about the you know looking at the legs I thought when did women learn that it was our right to stop somebody else another human another male looking wherever the fuck he likes like you're not caged animals we well (laughs) does it does it bother you when you are whole as a human being so when you accept yourself when you're connected with yourself when you feel secure in yourself does that bother you? I mean, it might bother you to the extent that you want to talk about it, but mm. if, if you get into the point where you're feeling jealousy, shame, mm-hmm. guilt, there's humiliation, there. there's yeah. definitely something else there. And yeah. that, that self-introspection is, you know, something yeah. really worth working on. And then, and then, of course, what we're talking about is um, men need to learn to understand how women communicate. Women have to learn to understand how men communicate and then, we can mm-hmm. get into it. So, because another thing that I got out of that book that I was like, whoa, this is another one I need to speak to Elijah about was this age between teenager and 35. The author talks about this phase called the prince phase. So they, they want to be a king, but they're just busy charging around fucking like looking for adventure and, um, you know, trying to conquer the prince and all that kind of kind of stuff but there she's saying that they have this men have this thing where it's like a laser like focus on one thing like so for me it's like building my business so we need to understand that that's how men operate in this phase they're sorry it's a transition between prince and king they, yeah. they want to build their kingdom that's it yeah they want to build yeah. their kingdom and if you don't let them build their kingdom mm-hmm then you are going to disconnect from them in the same way that if a man doesn't hold presence and space for a woman, they're going to disconnect. It works yeah. your way around. So I was like saying to Liza, hey, you know, when you say to me, why the fuck don't you remember birthdays? Why aren't you, why do you always leave it late to get a gift? Why don't you give a fuck about getting gifts? It's because I'm 100% focused on building mm-hmm. my business. That is my kingdom. And when I built it, then I might, and then the woman says something controversial and she says, Knowing this means that the woman can put prompts in front of the guy's face. That the, the woman can go to the guy and say, just letting you know, because I know this isn't something that you're really concerned about. It's my birthday on Saturday, and this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And the linear, orient, like results-oriented man will go, okay, good. Now I know what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or, and, I've, and I've ordered my gift. Yeah, you know, I'm taking it to extreme, but just understanding that the reason that your guy is so focused on this project is not all because he's running or trying to run away from you. No, and and understanding that that is that the masculine, the divine masculine, is linear, is results orientated, is success orientated, can help us women understand that. They still have the same values as us, 
they just show it in different ways. So for an example, um, I do values work with every woman I coach around what are your top values in life. But I also ask them to, if they can get their husband or their male partner, generally all my women that I coach have men in their lives to do the values as well. And they come back shocked. They're like, oh, his top value is family, but I didn't think it was because he's always at work and he's always outside in the shed fixing things and he's always doing this and this. And I'm like, yeah, same value expressed differently. Hmm. So you think that family is quality time, hanging out together, going on holidays, you know, spending that time together, whereas he's totally fixated on family, but he's fixated on bringing in money, feeding the family, keeping a roof over your head, leaving a legacy, having something to pass down to your children. And it just brings connection. So when we come down to it and we work through it, generally every couple has the same values. They just animate differently. And so, as you said, that beautiful relationship literacy about just how do we connect more? How do we talk more? How do we understand instead of making assumptions and projections? You know, my husband is an arsehole because he doesn't do this and this, but okay, but where does he show up for you? There's always, you know, there's always the shadow. There's always the light. How is his behavior actually functional? And we ask these questions. We can come generally to a place of, oh, he's actually the beautiful man that I married or met and chose to be in relationship with. But we've just become really disconnected and we're just, it's just, yeah, we're not in our, in our feminine masculine polarity. Oh, I remember the person that I fell in love with and mm. I'm, I'm not in that stage in my life. And I like, I don't like with my, first, my first wife, yeah. I, yeah, we, we were together oh. each other so far and then I needed, mm. something, I needed something else, mm-hmm. not sexually, but something mm. else that was more, I don't know. I, I did. I just needed a different guide, you know. And yeah. we evolve as humans. You know, I remember saying to my husband, "He's like, you've changed. You're not as fun and playful." And did I said, "Well, I want to get back to that, but also, I'm not 23 anymore. Like, yeah. I, I'm, you know, it's 15 years later. I'm pretty much a different human to to what I was there. So, how can we grow together or love each other enough to not be together?" And still be okay, you know. That's that mature, that emotional maturity, that that evolution of relationship, instead of making it mean something that maybe we don't want to be together anymore. Two more, two more things I want to talk to you about, and I, right. I don't want to, I don't want to rush them. So, I like, I liked what you just said there about not twenty three anymore. One of the failures of mine, which. And I always look at failures as good things. One of the mm. failures that I, I did when I first, the 1,000 Day Sober Experience has taken many forms. It evolves as I evolve. Mm. One aspect of it that evolved was this theory where that, I can't remember the name I've given it to, it's blanked me at the moment, but where we would, we would go back in time to being a teenager where we mm. had this choice to murder our soul and follow the tribe and do things we didn't want to do or choose our own path, which kind of eliminated us from the tribe. Right. And Mm. then, so I, I was taking people back to that place and saying, that's who we want to be again. Right. So that's what, how I was teaching it. But I've since learned that whilst it's good to go back to that place and to understand what happened, what is Mm. more important is learning that now, right now at the age of 45, that I have a, blank canvas and that I can now create my life from yeah. from a fully mature 45 um, year old. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm more about creation now than discovery. And I want 
that to be a lead into an interest I have with art therapy, right? Mm -hmm. how, you're, you're a qualified art therapist. How, how do you use art therapy to help people? Well, for me, the modality that I learned was to help people go back and re and process trauma through the body. So release trauma from the cells where that's where our trauma is trapped in our cells um, without having to talk about it and rehash it and re-traumatize, right? So that's, that's how I use art therapy when I know that there's a block and it could actually be past life stuff as well. Like we can go, we can, the body can go back that far, but with art therapy, you don't need to know, you don't need to talk about it. You don't need to, you know, dig and understand it and conceptualize it. You just allow the body to release. And I, the main modality or medium I used to use was clay work because it's very primal. Hmm. Um, and in, in my sessions, we just start with a visualization or meditation, go down into the body and then just follow the hands. There's an incredible book called The Hand and I cannot remember the author off the top of my head, but about how humans have evolved, how their hands have evolved over time. And so we just trust the hands, you dig into the clay. Now, by the end of some of my sessions, I'll have people that have smeared clay all over their bodies and almost like a rebirth, but they haven't had to talk about it or understand it. They just allow their body to do the movement. So that's how I've used art therapy in allowing people to get into their body as well. So a lot of women that I work with have had sexual abuse and trauma and so they've dissociated from their bodies. Almost I picture it like their head and their body, don't they're not attached. Hmm. And sometimes we'll see this in drawings where the body, they draw a body and they, their head is not even attached to their body. So using things like clay, plasticine, finger painting. It can regress people back to an age where maybe some trauma happened, but they don't have to relive the trauma. That's why I love art therapy. Um, and they can release that from their cells and then just come out of it feeling lighter and the whole trajectory of whatever was happening and animating in a certain way will, will change. And they'll say, I don't even understand. I just did finger painting for an hour. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's more, so it's, in more in, it's more on the discovery phase and the creation phase. So it's like opening space to create. It's not even so art therapy is not about the end product. It's not right. about art. It actually right. shouldn't even be called art, really. But it it's we call it somatic experience. So it's body work. It's actually mm -hmm. body work. So it actually doesn't matter. It's just the movement of the body. So one other thing I do is guided drawing where you actually draw with your eyes closed and a pencil in each hand. So you're not drawing a picture, but you're drawing movement. So it might be mm. circular motions or you might get a woman that can't even put the pen on the paper. You might have women that actually tear the paper back and forward with very um, aggressive strokes. It's actually more about the body movement than art. It's not about art. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm not a good artist. I can't do that. And I'm like, no, it's not about. It's not about, <laughs> it's that. Not about that. It's about, it's body work. It's somatic mm. body work. And if you read any of Peter Levine's work around yeah. how trauma is trapped in the cells, you kind of get a correlation between, oh, that's why clay work works and um, finger painting. You know, some, some women that I work with where they've, you know, had a traumatic event at the age of three we'll go back and do finger painting because that's generally what they were doing art-wise at that age. And we'll, we'll just go back there and experiment and play and almost re-parent them through the stages of art so they can heal their inner child. 
Um, so we start with finger painting, then we go to pencils and dye to drawing and then some clay and then maybe collage and, you know, the actual art stages mm. as you grow. You probably see it in Zia. Mm. Um, as she grows, it gets more sophisticated. But we have to go back and integrate it's that inner child work. I like it. What I like about that is uh, understanding that everybody learns very differently and everybody um, heals very differently. And so having all these different, what I like Mm -hmm. about you is you, you have so many different um, arrows in your quiver. So you can like give, you give your clients a lot of choices. And one of those is human design. So what's that? Talk about that a little bit. Oh gosh. Just a little bit. Okay, how do I talk about this? I love it so much. Um, well, talk about so- it as long as you like. <laughs> no, 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 that's all right. So human design is its a combination of a number of different theories, quantum physics, uh, the tree of life, the Chinese I Ching, chakra systems and astrology all in one like super system um, that was created in the 80s. And it basically how I like to use it is it gives me a, a person's unique energetic blueprint or aura from the time they were born, literally the time they came into this portal basically. Um, And so it's kind of like, you know, people have had their stars, they know their horoscopes and that sort of stuff, but it's like on steroids and it gives me a really great picture of who they are and how they uniquely function in relationships, how they are best to make decisions that will bring the least amount of resistance in their life, how they align to their natural energy, how they'll have how they'll have more, like how to tap more into their intuition really. And so, but it can tell them, yeah, like if you're, I can't wait to do Lee Davies. Oh my God, I need to dive in and do yours so bad. <laughs> I'm just like. You have given, <laughs> you have given me some little snippets. <laughs> but yeah. you know, like, you know, whether you should listen to your gut instinct or you should listen to your emotions or you know, it even tells you what your purpose here, like your sort of your main themes in life will be your challenges and struggles will be like one of mine is money struggles. I'm here to learn through money, hmm. um, which I've definitely felt throughout my life. And so it just, when I give people a reading, so I offer people readings, quite in-depth readings, every person says to me, oh my gosh, it's like you've just given me permission to be myself. And all the work I do, I do breath work, art therapy, human design, you know, and then obviously my general coaching is all about helping people come back to who they authentically are before they were conditioned, before they had obligations, before they had expectations, before the world told them who they should be. And human design really strips all of that away and just helps you see who you truly are. And then, and then you can build your life and create, you know, your life with more intention around that. And really listening always to in here, what do I need? What do I want? What are my desires? Um, and how do I impact on the world from that place? because we're all so unique. Okay, one question to finish off. My wife at the moment, she's um, she's doing lots and lots and lots of training and education in nutrition, health and wellness and stuff. And she's uh, she got into this NES health thing. So similar type of thing, but it sounds a bit, you do a reading. Uh, oh, yeah. A little gizmo. And it fucking tells, yeah. you every, tells you everything about your life, right? And she also has this like NES health. I don't think it's here right now. It's like a little thing and you type it in it's like emf so we put mm-hmm. it on when we're going to bed zia had mm-hmm. a bad stomach the other day so she she put it to digestion and we use it like a magic wand all these things and the things you were talking about you really need to have an open mind right like if you don't have an open mind about these things and you you've known me for like 12 weeks now and you know that when i came into our coaching container you know yeah. my mind was 
I don't know, there was a gap there where I was willing yeah. to learn some stuff, but I, yeah. I still had some fixed views on a lot of things. How can we teach or coach people to open their mind? Is it possible? So I do, firstly, I do agree that you need to be able, you need to be able to tune your, everything's frequency. And I use a device called the Healy, very similar to what you've got, but it's a different company, obviously. Hmm. But, you know, everything is frequency. So I believe that you need to be able to tune your frequency to the station that you want to learn from, right? Because, I mean, I also, like I've used essential oils for, for, for so long and I find that they work for people that are open to them and then the people that are not say it doesn't work, right? Mm. So how do you open your mind? Now, when I look at a human design chart, there's the there's actually nine centers, not seven like the chakra system. There's nine and one's the head center. Now, if you've got a closed or defined head center, that head center's colored in, you're going to be less, less open-minded to new concepts. Mm. So when someone's really closed and I look at their chart and I see that, I'm like, of course you are. Like that's that's your natural state. Now, do I believe that people can change and evolve and, and open their headspace? Yes, I absolutely do. But I always believe it has to come when there's a catalyst, there's a crisis, there's shit hits the fan, right? Mm. That's generally when people, I often used to say humans are dumb, but I don't believe that anymore. But I used to say that because I'd be like, why do you wait until your relationship is literally on its last legs? Why do you wait until you're really, really sick to change your health? Like, why do we do that? I used to have that question a lot. Mm. And I just, uh, you know, I do believe there has to be a catalyst or a, something that makes you want to change. I mean, what was it for you, Lee, like that made you go, oh, I really want to open well, my mind? Listening, listening to, you know, reading this book, The Keys of the Kingdom, I'm seeing, actually, I'm thinking more anthropologically. So I'm thinking kind of like, oh, I got to 35 and I was, I was ready to move out of my prince stage into my king stage yeah, yeah. so so right now i'm still trying to build my kingdom and i'm going into my king energy so yeah. that allowed me to have this i knew that i i didn't know this obviously but i'm learning that there's no way i could go from prince to king energy without having an open mind i would just yeah. be a prince all my life yeah uh, which you know which is not cool and the another element that's come up for me is because I, I believe in past lives and i believe that our souls go through a number of incarnations to learn different lessons. That's what I believe. And I also, so I believe that some of the people in my world right now who are very closed down to even the stuff that's going on in the planet right now, like they're not open to any other different narrative about what's going on with the pandemic. And I look at them and go, I think you're actually a young soul. I don't know that you're ready in your evolution to open up to that yet. So that's another conversation I know, but that's something that I see. I go, oh, and I see this in human design. I'm a four, six, which is an older soul and six is the role model. It's like you've learned a lot of stuff and now you're at the space where you're a role model and teaching other people. And then you have people like a one, three where they're very young and they're just in that, in, they're just here to learn their own stuff. They're not ready to support or <laughs> impact the world. So yeah, I, that's another element of what I see. Why are you laughing? Lee I'm Jason? laughing because I, I mean, like, you know, I'm in this leap container. So I yeah. got a new group, like we and you were in a group. I got another group. We call the global yeah. alchemist. And there's yeah. a young lady in there called Martina Fink. And we've, yeah. um, we've been trading uh, messages on joy and happiness, try to help each other find more joy and happiness. And she believes in past life aggressions and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. And I said to her, ever since Zia's been able to talk, 
she yep. talks she talks about her life in India and she talks yep. about her mum and dad in India, her brothers and sisters. She describes with amazing intricate detail her home, her neighborhood. Yep. And when yep. I told this to Martina, instead of Martina going, Well, you fucking nuts, which most of my old friends would say, Martina said, Oh wow, she sounds like a very old soul. Yeah. Which which for me to hear about a four-year-old just I think it would have yeah. blew my mind like 10 weeks ago. Yeah, totally. Now I was just, now I was just like, oh, well, <laughs> oh, yeah. my daughters are, yeah, I can see that. And children are so much more in tune. You know, often children will tell these stories and adults will say, don't be ridiculous. You've never been to India. You know, what are you talking about? But they're so close to the veil of the part, their, their recent life, right? It's I amazing. Think, I think like when I was younger, like I, I did some work last night with uh, my coaching buddy where we had to regress each other back to ages 0 to 8, then ages 9 to 12, then 13 to, and on and on up to 25, where we had mm. to describe our happiest memories and our saddest memories. And then we were kind of like seeing where they, what was attached to those? Like, was it yeah. like a security, like a control, like mm. a approval? And, I, and it made me remember how many people I would see in my bedroom when I was young mm-hmm. why I still wear a sleep mask every night because I'm scared because even now at 45 I'll see people in my room and I I have kind of put it down to hypnagogic hallucinations so I've kind of like fo- followed the science line to it but now right. I'm starting to think maybe I was an old soul and maybe I just have this ability to see things that other people can't see I remember like this guy I interviewed on the podcast he, he was a sleep expert and um, he said to me, modern life is stealing our dreams, right? Like we're having a problem with dreaming less and less because of mm-hmm. life. And when I told him about this, this woman, like I would open my eyes and it'd be a woman sitting by the side of my bed. He was like, <laughs> why don't you ask her why she's there? And I was like, what, are you kidding me? Like, I just screaming off the top of my, my voice. Like, I'm surprised she doesn't fucking run away and bang her head in the window on the way out. Like, you need to be really open-minded to be like, yeah. oh, there's, hey, hey, what do you do next to my bed, Entity? Yeah. G'day. How you going? <laughs> I, we went right it's off the so, tangent there. You know what I love, Lee? I love that when I first came into your vortex, a few months ago, you were the least spiritual in our group. And I love that you're probably going to cross the line as the most spiritual seeing people in your bedroom. Dude, my my coaching buddy in the leap. So Preston and Zion, they deliberately chose people they think you needed to be with. (laughs) Claudia, my buddy, she is the fucking crystal queen like her entire house is full of fucking crystals oh, like, every time we speak she's like going let me just oh yeah, my body energy she's like fucking uh, 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 and, I'm, and i'm like oh, i could see why you brought us together this is the best. I love look, this. look at my crystals man i know you've evolved so much i love it so much just, and it's so i've got i'm not i i think everyone has psychic and spiritual abilities i just think we we're numb out to them and we close down to them when we're very young because they're scary um, but so many people around me say in their forties, they really start to open up to those gifts and start to tune into those gifts and find out how to protect themselves and create boundaries around it. But it's fascinating to me. I well, love that. I just want to say to all the guys out there now who are thinking, what the <laughs> fuck? Like I used to listen to Lee's podcast because 
you know, like at the beginning, he's talking about his blue balls. And that's why we love Lee. <laughs> Lee, don't go down the crystal route, brother. What are you doing? Because like most people, I say, how did you find me? Like, I really resonated with your energy and all this kind of stuff. And my energy is changing now, right? Um, uh, but let me tell you guys, okay. let me tell you what's happening for me right now is by opening my my space up, my container, if you like, to allow the possibility things that I don't understand exist and happens, but open myself up to the possibility, um, acknowledge that I have all my needs met, um, accept mm-hmm. that I'm an abundant, amazing human being, that all of the en- life is energy and energy is vibration. It all starts with thought and how I think. All these things that I'm thinking about at the moment, I'm telling you folks, it's making me happier. It's making my wife look at me and go, wow, this guy's a fucking super sexy being. It's providing connection and it's, mm-hmm. I'm attracting wonderful people like Carly into my life who Carly would not be really interested in wanting to hang out with me if I was, she wouldn't be interested in hanging out with Ching, like my old guy, Ching. No way. She'd be like, this guy is just a fucking narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> Get away from me. Energy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I always come back. I always come back every day in my own journaling, meditation, you know, mindfulness practice, my own centering. And then with my clients, it's just, if something feels good, then why not fucking follow us? Yeah, keep doing what works. Like, you know, don't think, oh, but what will people think? And will, I, will people think I'm crazy? And just does this feel good? And be guided by that every fucking day. Because mm. that's how we were when we were kids, until it was conditioned and socialised out of us, right? Which then caused all our shit and our problems and our angst and our like, addictions and, yeah. Yeah, so yeah no, Lee, Lee's, talk, Lee's talking about, oh, no, Carly's talking about, other lives. That's making me feel uncomfortable. Mm. Why is it making me Why? feel uncomfortable? Where's yeah. it coming from? Is it coming from approval, a need for approval? Is it coming from a lot, lack of security? Is it coming from a, a lack of control? Where is it coming from and what does it say about you? And you can track it back to an old memory that probably happened when you was a kid and then you'll see a pattern and then you're like, oh, there's my work. That's what I need to work on. But don't, please, please don't go, oh, Carly's full of shit. Lee's full of shit. Without asking that question, what the fuck is going yeah. on for me? Explore it. And then if you want to leave it and it's not for you right now, that's okay too. But yeah, it's interesting how we self-abandon, like this feels good, but I shouldn't, it shouldn't feel good because of it. So I'll just let it go. That's self-abandonment over and over and over and over. Well, Carly, I've kept you long enough. I'm just going to go find some clay. I'm going to make a okay. real slimy pot. My cock yeah. is going to accidentally fall into yeah. it. Oh my God. So I, so I don't, I don't ruin my vow of non-masturbation. I'll my hands free. Right. And then I'm going to be golden. And then I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll blame it on my crystals. Uh, oh, it's been enjoy wonderful. Enjoy that visual, everyone. I it's, just, been, gonna... <laughs> it's been wonderful having you on. If you're listening, um, and you want to work with Carla Hageman, she works with women and she works with men, you go to www.1000daysober.com, click on the podcast link. There'll be a special page with Carly where you'll get access to all of her links, her website, her Facebook page, Instagram. And she has a lot of courses that she drums out. She has a, a group there as well, which is really powerful. Yeah. So go check that out. And please, please, please work with Carly. Everybody who comes on this podcast, work with them. Honest, these people can change your lives, okay? Carly, any last words before I let you go? No, it's just been an honor. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to you, Lee. I love having you in my life. And you too. And you too. Okay, let's press this end button. You don't go anywhere, but I'll just press stop. 